Chris Kelsey here with Matt Howell. And on this episode of the first run, Matt and I are going to discuss underwater. K Stu is trapped, Matt, at the bottom of the ocean with a crew of motley characters. Unfortunately, one of them being TJ Miller. Things go horribly wrong. Will they survive? We're also going to discuss Hagazusa, currently available on Amazon Prime. It's a witch movie that might not be a witch movie. And then Matt and I are going to share with you what our five favorite movies at sea are. And of course, as always, I have some ridiculous rules that I set upon myself to make things as difficult as possible. I'll also tell you what's coming up on Blu-ray and DVD this upcoming Tuesday. And you'll get your straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week. If that's what you're here for, mom and dad have your presents. So let's take a few minutes, though. And hear a clip from underwater. We have about 30 minutes till meltdown. Okay, guys, listen. The escape pods are gone, and the sub is out of order. And we're not getting any more radio signals. And the structure of the Kepler is totally unsound. Captain, there better be a good punchline, because the setup is... So weak. Weak. We go for the Roebuck. The Roebuck? It's a mile down and a mile that way. What are you talking about? Yeah. How would we even get that? We walk. We what? Walk. So we just go in the pitch black and we walk without knowing where we're going with insufficient oxygen. That's the plan? That's the plan. Everybody down with that? Nora, you okay with that? The suits can't be down there that long. You know that. Not everyone here is an experienced diver and... That we never know. I, I mean, I'm not trying to be... Can you just admit we might die doing that? Yeah. But can you admit that we might live doing this? So do they live? So Matt, why don't you take some time and tell the kids at home what is Underwater all about? So Case 2 plays Nora. Um, she's a mechanical engineer on a deep water drilling site, uh, I assume somewhere around the Marianas Trench, about seven miles below the surface must be the near future and there's an accident and the habitat they're all they're all in starts to collapse and it's about them trying to get out but there may be something lurking in the darkness as they try to escape fantastic so let me ask you matt is underwater a fun seaworthy horror slash thriller or just a derivative bore I could see how either somebody could say either or. I go with the former. I had a lot of fun watching it. I had really no expectations about this film. I wasn't really expecting much. This kind of smacked of, especially by the very fact that T.J. Miller is in it, um, smacked of something that was shelved and filmed like long ago, and it was just being pulled off the shelf to kind of fill a January slate. And that's basically what this is. But. Uh, overall i had a good time like i was it gets right to the action it gets right to the the story and it just kind of doesn't let up the whole way i guess if you stop and think about it it can be kind of ridiculous and derivative but i was actually on board and i kind of it's so derivative in some instances that it actually was kind of entertaining like this thing owes so much to alien and aliens that uh that i was still having fun with it I agree with you. I think it's a solid, entertaining thriller that I think hits all the points it's trying to hit. And let me tell you, man, I felt this thing started off like a rocket. I mean, we don't waste any time in this thing, right? And I think it pretty much maintains a brisk pace all the way through. Is it a little derivative, like you said, of Alien? It's basically an underwater Aliens kind of franchise film. 
and maybe TJ Miller's comic relief feels canned and almost shoehorned in at times. I'm saying this regardless of my feelings towards the person that is TJ Miller. Uh, maybe it's a little too cheeky when we're talking about its male gaze. We basically get K-Stew and her delegates for quite a, a long bit of the running time. Though another long time she's in the, her, you know, deep sea diving suit. Same with Jessica Henwick. But I will say that I think the monster designs were solid. I would have liked maybe to have seen a few more or seen more of them of what we see. But for the most part, I think the scares work as well. And for me, I think what puts this over the edge for me is the reveal of the final monster and who it is. Maybe I'm leaning too much on that reveal. But I was like, is that? And I got all giddy and excited. And and the director, uh, William Eubank, has confirmed it is who I thought it was. And knowing that you're a fan, I believe, of that kind of work. And uh, what was your thoughts when that when that hit? Um, yeah. So when I saw the the final reveal, I was like, oh, so that's where they're going with this. And then, of course, you know, the other smaller creatures that's also tied into this particular legend or mythology mythos, if you will sure. um <laughs> they uh you know so i was like oh, okay i'm getting it i'm getting it and it was funny because i you know was watching this thing and there was a little a little blip of things to come when she's looking at a map there's a, a picture of uh of a famous uh creature um on that map and i thought it was like oh see they're laying the groundwork for you but, oh, i didn't but, i didn't catch that at all oh, no you didn't see it it was kind of a blink there. and you miss it kind of thing yeah um, not to spoil it for anybody too much, but again, you told me you saw this before I did, and you were saying, "Oh, look out for the little Easter eggs and stuff like that." So I'm looking at all the stuff, looking at Alien. I mean, the underwater suit design looks almost exactly like the suits that they use when they go walking out, you know, mm-hmm. investigating the derelict ship. Um, I think even the the noises in the kind of command center are the same noises that mother makes, you know, the computer that uh, talks to them and stuff like that. So that's the stuff I was picking up on, but obviously there's more at the end. Yeah. No, I, I, I had a blast with this thing. I think it's a lot of fun. And previously we were discussing as your January horror entry being that grudge sequel that we saw a week or so ago, which this is a much better set. This is a lot more fun. And, uh, I, I like you said, I enjoyed the hell out of this thing. You know, I, there's only so much I can say because I don't. I, I'm trying to avoid spoilers for it. K. Stu is solid in it. The rest of the cast is good. Vincent Cassell, John Gallagher Jr. shows up. I mean, it's a pretty good cast in this too, and it works for what it is, what it's trying to do. It works. It really does. It's a yeah. lot of fun. I am gonna give Matt Underwater a B. Oh, that's exactly the same grade. I'm gonna give it too. And I will say that. Um... Well, uh, you did make the touch of the point of case do, and I'm sorry, the I forget the other principal actress's name, Jennifer kind of running Spanik. around, yeah, yeah, running around in their their underwear because something like about they couldn't fit in their suits if they were wearing pants or whatever. But to be fair, I mean, it's not super gratuitous, and it's not like lascivious or anything like that. It's almost like it's almost incidental, so it's not like it's that offensive or anything like that. So just take that as you will. 
Yeah, I don't. It's we don't. There's no long tracking shots of her butt or something like that, right? Where right, no. we focus in on that. So I think it's also pretty easy where they could have had just both of them maybe in some. I don't know whatever the aqua equivalent of yoga pants would be, or uh, a scuba <laughs> suit or something. Yeah, wetsuits yeah. exactly. So yeah. I don't know. Still, hey man, she was brushing her teeth. She didn't have time to get ready. <laughs> that's a fair point. That's a fair yeah. point. Things go horribly awry when you brush your teeth. That's the lesson, folks. No yeah. personal dental, dental hygiene. This, I would just like to point out, this movie has just really solidified my hate of the ocean. You know, like I don't mm. want to be on it. I don't want to yep. be under it. The descent has taught me I never want to go in a cave. And it's not even the monsters. It's like the squeezing through stuff and like not being able to escape. The ocean is a sucker's game. Never going near it. I hate it. And so should everybody else. Exactly. I mean, what, they, they also, they, you know, they pee and poo in the ocean, all the sea yeah. creatures. Of course. Yeah. It's filthy. So, hard pass. No, thank you. <laughs> We've had a chance to see you underwater. And if you have any thoughts about just the sea in general, shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, let's take a couple minutes and talk about what's coming up on home video this upcoming Tuesday, January 28th. A couple of huge films. One of them, I hope, may end up winning Best Picture. The other is a lot better than the movie-going audience gave it credit for. Because none of you turned out for it. Let's hear a clip. Sarah Connor. Sarah! I'll kill you! I'll kill you! What are you doing? No, you need to calm down. That thing killed John! Is that true? Yes. But I'm not what you think I am. Wow, that's a little spoiler filled too, isn't it? I probably should have given you a heads up on that. So that's a clip from Terminator Dark Fate. Probably one of the better Terminator sequels. It is a lot of fun. It's well done. Some of the best action scenes in the franchise. And nobody went to check it out. If you get it from Best Buy, you can get a cool steel book. Obviously, it's the... Uh, it's this. Terminator skeleton thing, which is always cool looking. And it's some deleted and extended scenes, a legend reforged, and more making of featurettes. I will be purchasing Terminator Dark Fate, Matt. No doubt about it. Yeah, me too. But the other big release, probably the big release, if we're fair, is Parasite. Bong Joon-ho's just worldwide phenomenon. It's a major success. It's coming out on Blu-ray. Unfortunately, there are nary any special features. There's a Q&A session with Bong, but that's it. But uh, outside of that, it's it's the best film of the year. So pick it up. Harriet is also coming out on Blu-ray, based on, of course, the story of the iconic freedom fighter Harriet Tubman. And then Edward Norton's Motherless Brooklyn is being released as well. Includes a deleted scene and audio commentary by Norton. New to Blu-ray, Matt Criterion is releasing a pair of films. First up, Cindy Lamette's Failsafe, with a brand new 4K restoration of the film. Some ported over audio commentary from 2000 featuring Sunil Lamette and more. They're also giving us Pedro Almodovar's All About My Mother, a brand new 2K restoration of that one. There's a 52-minute documentary from 2012 on the making of the film, a new English subtitle translation, and more. Vinegar Syndrome is releasing a pair of films. Well, more than that, but they dabble in the dirty side of business, which we don't typically feature on the show. Only, I guess, when JC from Screen Fix Pod is on. But one of my all-time favorite movies, Matt, has not been available domestically here on Blu-ray 
at all until now. A classic from USA's Saturday Nightmares, which was a series USA Network used to run, where they ran some classic horror films. That's where I saw Hellraiser, where I saw The Evil Dead. I saw lots of great horror back in the day, but one of my favorite B-movie schlock classics, Flesh-Eating Mothers, is getting released by Vinegar Syndrome. There's an exclusive 2,000-run slipcover directly if you buy it from them. This also applies to their other release we'll talk about. But Flesh-Eating Mothers, basically a venereal disease turns an entire town into cannibals. All the mother, all the moms, right? All the wives get turned into cannibals by the guys who've been cheating on their wives. There's also some commentary about law enforcement and stuff too, but either way, there's a new scan to restore 2K from the original 60mm archive elements, a brand new commentary track with the director, and a couple new interviews. Let me tell you, I have pre-ordered this from Grindhouse Video here in Tampa, and I cannot wait to get my hands on this sucker. I've never even heard of it. No? Oh, it's great. It is just, well, here's the thing. I haven't watched it in 20 plus years, so who knows when I... Yeah, we'll see. We'll see when I pop it in and watch it. I did actually break down and bought Arrow's RoboCop Special Edition 2. It's already going out of print, I guess, and it's got a lot of cool uh, limited edition features. But one of the things I need to have, what finally broke me down, was the inclusion of the TV cut. Because I don't think, even if it gets re-released on 4K, a lot of those features aren't going to transfer over. And there's no way they're going to include the TV cut in that. Now, granted, it's standard definition, but seeing something as vulgar and as violent as RoboCop and having the opportunity to see the TV edit was just too fun an opportunity for me to pass up. Vinegar Syndrome, as I said, is also releasing Zombie Island Massacre. Americans on vacation in the Caribbean take a tour out of a nearby island at night and watch a local voodoo ritual. Soon after, they find themselves stranded on an island under attack by unseen foes. A new 2K scan of that from the original 35mm camera negative, the original theatrical trailer, some multiple TV spots, and a sizzle reel. Not much going on in the special features, but there probably wasn't much to get. Arrow is releasing Edge of the Axe. An axe murderer terrorizes a small Northern California mountain community, while two young computer-obsessed adults attempt to solve the killings. Diabolic DVD has a special edition cover you can only get if you buy it from them directly. A brand new 2K restoration from the original camera negative on this one. English and Spanish language versions of the movie. A new... Translated English subtitles as well. This is a Spanish film, I should point out. New audio commentaries and more. Warner Archive is releasing a pair of films. Two on a guillotine and underwater. A different one. This one starring Jane Russell. Sony is releasing a few 90s stuff from their catalog. Very Bad Things, Body Parts, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, American Outlaws, Trial by Jury, and Wild America. Your straight DVD pick of the week, Matt. Well, I don't know. Maybe we need to work this one in. Bloods vs. Wolves. On the streets of New York, a supernatural war is being waged between rival gangs of vampires and ghetto-dwelling werewolves. And no place is safe from the most powerful and brutal beasts on the planet. The Bloods are bloodsuckers who dominate the downtown area by exercising absolute authority over the financial institutions, real estate developers, and of course, the blood banks. Though the Bloods may hold power over the most affluent areas of the city, it's the shape-shifting wolves who reign supreme in the dilapidated downtown slums. Their long-standing truce is shattered, however, when greed takes hold and a dark fury thrusts the entire city into chaos. So it's like we have some social commentary there, Matt, in this Bloods versus Wolves 
both with Z's. Well, you know, that's what I need. I refuse to see a movie unless it has social commentary in it. You know me. So what should we be streaming this week, then? I'm going to recommend um, a friend of the show, Lady Wan, in our last uh, show with uh, the big blood extravaganza for the end of the year. She threw off a throwaway comment about Overlord, and I caught up with it again, and I actually probably enjoyed it more the second time around than I did the first. So I'm going to go out and recommend Overlord, the, I guess, Cloverfield-adjacent film about uh, World War Two paratroopers um, uncovering a nefarious Nazi plot involving zombies and the occult and everything else. It's a cool, tight little war thriller horror movie. It's available on Amazon Prime and Hulu. So you got a twofer, whatever is available to you. Nice. I picked this up on 4K on Black Friday for like five bucks. Nice. I thought it was worth. I thought it was worth the fiver. It is worth the fiver. Yeah. So let me ask you. It makes me. Th- that makes me wonder. How do you think? It, would you? Would Underwater be improved if it was a Cloverfield film or to be uh, lessened or what do you think? Um, I think it'd be cool if it was a Cloverfield film, but I mean, honestly, it's fun enough either way. I mean, this is probably, this is one of those films I'm like, you know what? Once it's at a certain price point, I'm going to buy it. So yeah, no, I'm inclined to agree with you. Good times. Let's move on then, Matt. Let's spend a few minutes talking about Hagazusa. A Heathen's Curse. Ipon! Christy! Der Pfarrer hat mich geschickt. Er hat gemeint, dass du abgekommen sollst. Er darf das gerne mit dir reden. So let me just tell you, never walk with somebody who is <laughs> pretending, says they're your friend, they want to meet, have you meet the local priest, and mm-hmm. they meet up a little later with your yep. her buddy, and then, uh, yeah, no. Yeah, so, no. So Hakazusa is a Germ- old high German word for witch, and fresh off of Robert Eggers' witch, which is a, a fan favorite here of, of the big show. Mm-hmm. This time we have Albrun, who uh, we start off Matt when she's a young young girl, and then her mother gets ill, and then she passes. There's a lot of weird, creepy stuff that happens during that window, and then we fast forward what 15 years. Mm-hmm. She's now in their cottage on her own. She has a child herself, and she is dealing with the since she's out kind of in the woods dealing with bigotry and persecution as she occasionally runs into people and just basically trying to survive while there's something horrible always lurking somewhere, either in the background or perhaps in her mind or more or something else. So Matt, let me ask you, was Hagazusa too much vich? You know, your double V witch there? Mm-hmm. Or was it a great spine tingling horror import all on its own? Well, I don't think it's too much witch or too much bitch, as uh, the case may be. In fact, it maybe could have used a little more bitch. Um, <laughs> but uh, because this thing, even though it's in German, has very little dialogue. So this is very, very reminiscent of like a German expressionistic film because it's all mood and, and visual images that kind of sets the mood. And it's definitely a very unsettling film, especially as it kind of barrels towards its climax. It just kind of 
you know, just more and more horrifying things just kind of pile up onto each other until it's like just uh, kind of crushes you under the weight of it. It's definitely one of those films that gets you into a weird headspace, and it's it's the type of film like The Neon Demon or Climax that I'm going to think about for a long-ass time, and mm. I'm probably going to keep revisiting it, even though I'm not even sure I had a good time watching it the first time around. It's, it's one of those films that's going to stick with you because it's just... The images are just so nightmarish. Exactly. It, it, like you said, and I wrote to Pop Cult Net, James Baker had asked me too, because mm-hmm. I posted on, on the tweets that yeah. I was watching it with my dog. And my <laughs> dog had a reaction to it, even in the beginning. I guess it was probably the bass and the, 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 the music, which is a lot of this, you know, right. kind of. But this, you're right. It's just all mood and atmosphere until it takes a dark and truly disturbing turn that really upset me it was viscerally i had a visceral gut reaction to it when this one particular kind of moment happens in the film two actually a couple things it's not i kind of look at it as an alternate take on eggers the witch i don't think it's too entirely derivative of it i think that i had read that the director uh lucas uh fiegelfeld which i'm sure i'm butchering the pronunciation of that he wanted to take the kind of this legend, this Germanic legend of the witch and how it look at it almost from the the real life kind of perspective of the witch, right? It's an alternate explanation, the other side of these myths about the bigotry and persecution of people potentially who have mental illness. You know, what happens maybe also when you in, imbibe psychedelics all in the Middle Ages and... For the most of running time, Matt, I was wondering, I don't think this is even a supernatural kind of film at all. No. Except, I think, for the end, when I think it truly becomes one. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, it's all mood and atmosphere with some, like you said, really, truly disturbing images. I don't know if this is going to work for your average horror fan. Oh, definitely not. Not at all. It's not so much about scares and spells and gore, even though are one, again, one scene that just is going to sit in my head for a very long time. It's more kind of psychological horror supported by this well-trodden horror trope. It is at times very truly disturbing. And it is an unsettling unsettling experience. It'll stick with me. I don't know if I ever want to watch it again. I mean, it's not like unbreakable. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, not unbreakable. Um, Irreversible. irreversible, That one set. But it's still, it's it's an experience. Uh, I've... I feel like I want to give this a B as well because I think what it tries and sets out to do, it's as just like underwater, but in a very different way, it's very <laughs> successful at what it's trying to do. It's just, it's just, it's one, it just kind of gives you the, like, you know, when, yeah. you, when you're watching it, but yeah. it's, it's well done and it's, it's, it's quite good, but very upsetting. Yeah. Shocker of all shocks. I'm going to give it the exact same grade. I think you hit the nail on the head in the fact that this is, this is definitely not for everybody. This is a challenging film. I think you have to be like, I wouldn't unconditionally recommend this to a horror fan or Mm. like a casual movie fan, but if somebody who's like really kind of in the weeds of you're looking for something different that, and you are of that bent, I would definitely recommend it. So I think I would give it a B with a conditional recommendation that it's not for everybody and you've been warned. But obviously, this is the complete polar opposite. It's an interesting pairing of these two films that we had. You had 
one that's just this kind of fun out of nowhere thriller nonstop. And then there's this other film where it's just this kind of slog into dread where nothing really happens until everything happens at the end. So like, it's, it's really just a weird dichotomy. And I'm, I like this, this kind of pairing that we did here. I think it was an interesting take for the show. <sighs> yes. So if you had a chance to see Hagazusa, shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com. Hagazusa is currently available as part of Amazon Prime's offerings. All right, Matt. So in honor of Underwater, we're going to spend a few minutes and talk about our five favorite movies that take place at sea. Here's one that didn't make the cut. Now, I apologize, folks. It's going to be a little longer of a, of a clip, but it is a classic moment from just an absolute trash film. But it is a ton of fun. And I'm spoiling it, basically, because this is the best moment in the whole movie. But I wanted to give it a little, a little bit of love. <laughs> You could bring the whole facility down. We're better off taking our chances with the sharks. Hey, you want to go swim with your little fishes, miss? You go right ahead. Me? I'm opening this door and I'm climbing out of here. The hell you are. Hey, I don't work for you anymore, okay? I don't have to take orders. That's enough now from all of you. You think water's fast? You should see ice. It moves like it has a mind. Like it knows it killed the world once. It got a taste for murder. When the avalanche came, it took us a week to climb out. And somewhere, we lost hope. Now, I don't know exactly when we turned on each other. I just know that seven of us survived the slide. And only five made it out. Now, we took an oath that I'm breaking now. Swore that we say it was the snow that killed the other two. But it wasn't. Nature can be lethal. But it doesn't hold a candle to man. Now, you've seen how bad things can get and how quick they can get that way. Well, they can get a whole lot worse. So we're not going to fight anymore we're going to pull together and we're going to find a way to get out of here first we're going to seal off this ah that is such a classic moment because you don't see it coming at least i didn't at the time no i did not either no so that is a clip from deep blue sea where uh, there are some genetically engineered sharks, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, that's right. They're like super sharks. And they're all trapped underneath in this station, and they got to figure out how to get out and survive. And as Sam Jackson's making that powerful, motivating speech, a shark comes up out of this little reservoir water thing and drags them into the, back into the ocean. And it is a classic moment. If you haven't seen Deep Blue Sea, it's trash, but it's a lot of fun. The whole movie is, is it's horrible, but it's it's a blast. <laughs> If you like bad shark movies that are fun, you know, you can't really go wrong with Deep Blue Sea. So here's part of the issue. For this list, I wanted to make sure that my five films, the majority of the time, took place at sea. Mm-hmm. Like a large. So like for me, Jaws is off the limit, off the books, right? Yeah, a lot I, of the I, went, I, was, I really went back and forth. I put Jaws on the list. I'll go ahead and spoil it. I did put Jaws on the list just because they spent like half the movie at sea. See, I couldn't remember what the timing was, so I'm like, you know, I'm just, and it's it's such a layup answer for me, mm. I don't, not to disrespect you at all, because I would never dream to do that. Uh, <laughs> so I I kept it off of mine. 
But I could watch though. You come back and I'm wrong about most of mine. Okay, there you go. I'll go first. I'll give you the ultimate number one. So okay. I think now here's where I think I could be wrong. So if I'm wrong, on a, somebody correct me and I'll just swap it out with this other one. But my number five is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou mm. with Bill Murray. Out of all, yeah. all my other films are kind of dramas or action films. Yeah. But this is Wes Anderson, the king of, um, what do they call it now? Twee or something like that? I don't know. Okay. Just, just all cork, but one of my favorite Bill Murray performances where it's kind of this riff, this satire of Jacques Cousteau. And it is just very endearing and funny, sweet, and it has a great killer uh, Bowie soundtrack. Some Bowie music, also some stuff played by Sui Jorge uh, or George. I, I apologize. Either way, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's an underrepresented and underappreciated, I think, Anderson film. But it's one of my favorites, so it's my number five, Life Aquatic. Yeah, I haven't seen Life Aquatic in so long. I couldn't remember that much about it. I really like Wes Anderson films, but I don't, uh, I don't, I don't remember that much about that one. So I didn't put it on the list. And if I'm wrong, and half of that thing takes place on land, then I'd swap <laughs> it out. I think with Captain Phillips. All right, there you go. All right, so my number five is the one of the things that first leaped to mind when you mentioned this list, or I saw this list. So my number five is Master and Commander. Um, mm. Basically stars uh, Russell Crowe as a privateer British um, naval captain who's kind of has the, you know, I think they go to the Galapagos Islands and they're kind of bouncing around in the, you know, all over the world. It basically takes place completely on tall ships, kind of has that naval battle feel. It's got this kind of epic sweep um, that I thought was really cool at the time, especially like in IMAX and things like that. That's a good pick. I like that one. Uh, my number four is All is Lost. Robert Redford is just a guy going out for a sale, and everything goes wrong. Mm. His, his, his little sailboat starts to break down. He's in the middle of nowhere, and he has to survive. He has to figure out what he's going to do to get home as a storm, the squall comes in while his boat is starting to sink. And it is... It is gripping. There's almost no dialogue in this one. It's because it's just Redford on a boat. Right. And it's one of my favorite performances, later day performances by him. It is it is gripping. Is it exciting? It is tense. And it is quite a trip. So if you haven't seen All is Lost, uh, you should definitely check it out. It's a great one. It's my number four. Okay. So I'm not sure if this really counts because this is... Uh... The ocean is completely digital ink, but my number four is Finding Nemo. Mm. Basically, you travel through the ocean on a journey of a father getting back his son. You go through the transatlantic currents, all kinds of cool stuff, and uh, it's a blast. Didn't even occur to me. I think that's fair. I'd put that as an honorable mention. That's a good pick. I totally forgot about that. I never. Th- I didn't think about any animated films at all. Yeah, I was trying to think outside the box a little bit. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see where Aquaman shows up on your list. <laughs> My number three is the aforementioned Master and Commander. I'm actually surprised it was so uh, low on your list. Mm-hmm. It is another, another film that is, I think, criminally underappreciated, and I think deserved a sequel. It is swashbuckling adventure of the highest order. It is a lot of fun, and uh, Russell Crowe is great in this thing, as is Paul Bettany, and it's just it's great adventure film and it just didn't do well unfortunately i don't know why i don't know if it just didn't have a great ad campaign i don't know but it's just one of those things that just didn't capture the imagination of the public 
which is a shame. If you haven't seen Master and Commander, it is a blast. I promise you will love it. It's my number three. It's a good pick. All right, so my number three is um, a film that takes place mostly in a tin can. And I knew I wanted to include a sub pick, but I wasn't sure which one I wanted to put on there. But then I decided, you know what? Let's be pretentious. And I picked Das Boot, which is about a German uh, U-boat. It's obviously all in German, but it is a the tensest, quickest moving three hours of of uh, a film that takes place in one location that you'll ever watch. And it's pretty much required viewing if you consider yourself a cinephile. Nice. That's Wolfgang Peterson's first film, right? Or at least his big film that kind of made him. Yep. Yeah, I haven't seen it. No, you haven't? No. I uh, should put it on. Uh, I know we're already doing a Shameless, so maybe we'll have to do Shameless Part 2 for 2021. We should, because I also haven't seen The Abyss. Oh, okay. Well, that may just show up later. <laughs> <laughs> Two films that I am ashamed to say I never caught up with. So my number two, then, speaking of submarine movies, is the Tom Clancy-based thriller, The Hunt for Red October. The first in the Jack Ryan films, you have Alec Baldwin playing Mr. Ryan, and of course, the fantastic Sean Connery as the Russian submarine captain who is attempting to defect. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Matt's air quotes with Russian, or Russian with a Scottish accent. Yeah, I know, right? Just like his uh, Spaniard with a Scottish accent. That's right. <laughs> I know he. Yeah, I'm sure he demanded that they break from the that they transition from that Russian to uh, English as soon as possible right. in that film. Right. But I think they handled the transition pretty well. I like how they did it. Either way, uh, lots of fun. It's got intrigue, mystery, right? Lots of thrills, and I think one of the better films of the '90s, uh, The Hunt for Red October. It is uh, very entertaining, and you get some great performances out of Baldwin and Connery. Uh, Sam Neill is quite good in this as well. James Earl Jones, of course. I always kind of wonder what would have happened with the Jack Ryan series if Baldwin Mm -hmm. had stuck with it. Now, granted, if you're going to replace him with anybody, I think Harrison Ford was the correct decision. I have not been a fan of any of the Jack Ryan stuff really since. Mm -hmm. The Chris Pine one is horrible. The Affleck, Affleck one, one is, is terrible. yeah. The Ben Affleck one's it's okay. It's not as bad as a Chris Pine one. I don't think. I don't think I've seen the Chris Pine one. The Krasinski series is underwhelming. Mm. I haven't seen season two though, so maybe, maybe it, it redeems itself in that second season. I don't know, but still, the Hunt for October is like my number one is like a TNT classic that right that would just run forever. Anytime it's on, I'm basically going to finish it. Right? If I'm, you know, you're going through the channels and it's on, I'm yeah. going to sit and finish it. It's one of those right. movies. So that's my number two. All right. My number two is the aforementioned Jaws. You know, I went back and forth on this one. Obviously, it's a an absolute stone-cold classic uh, film. Maybe one of several films that could be, of Steven Spielberg's, that could be classified as the elusive perfect film or a mm. perfect film. But... When I really thought about it, you know, the whole sequence of them going out, you know, looking, hunting for the shark out on the open ocean, that's where at least half the movie takes place. And this is, again, this is uh, the first movie that really solidified as a young lad as I was watching this when I shouldn't be watching it, that the ocean is not your friend and you should stay away from it. Now that's true. That is, oh God, that thing scarred me for a very long time, probably even to this day. So then my number one is another submarine movie. And listen, I am perfectly aware 
that this is not classic highbrow cinema, all right? But what Tony Scott is able to deliver with Crimson Tide is just peak 90s kind of action thriller. Listen to this. You got Denzel Washington, Gene Hackman, George Zazenda, Viggo Mortensen, James Gandolfini, right? And this... Gene Hack, I, I love Gene Hackman. I think we should do a Hackman marathon at some point. I think he's one of the, is he underrated as an actor? I don't, it just, you never hear really people, like he's been retired for a long time now. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, I, I think he's just um, underappreciated as an actor. I mean, I think at his prime, I mean, French Connection, even Royal Tenenbaums. Yep. I mean, he's got some great, great all-time classic roles. It's just like you said, he's kind of faded from the public consciousness because he retired. So, but he is chewing up all kinds of scenery in this thing. Denzel as well. It's got all the Tony Scott kind of misses before he got really too crazy experimental like in Man on Fire. But uh, still, Crimson Tide is one of my all-time favorite films. It is just a blast to watch. It is endlessly entertaining. And maybe with just a dusting of cheese that makes it all worthwhile. (laughs) I watched it again I don't know, like a year ago, and I was still riveted. It is, it is just high quality dad and entertainment. It's really, it's one of those kind of movies. So, yeah. I made it my number one. Oh, and a fantastic score. Sorry, by Hans Zimmer. It's actually the score that got me into Zimmer. Uh, okay, was the one for this film. So, there you go. Yeah, um, Crimson Tide is great. I remember when I I watched that thing. It really was a lot, a lot of fun. So, it's a good pick. All right, so my number one is a film that Chris hasn't seen. It's Peak mm-hmm. James Cameron, which is The Abyss. Basically, I thought it was a good capper. A deep-sea drilling team encounters some kind of undersea life that uh, they don't know what to do with, and they is beyond their comprehension. It stars you know, uh, Ed Harris. It has, obviously, James Cameron. You know, Principal Michael Bean, if, it, if he's not in it somewhere, at least somewhere, it's not a, a James Cameron movie as far as I'm concerned. So uh, it's it's a fun kind of peak early Cameron film that uh, has just some wild stuff in it that uh, you should really check out if you haven't seen it. It's, it's really like late 80s, I guess late 80s or early 90s sci-fi uh, film. So I had a bunch of imitators like deep star six and other things um that uh tried to cash in on, on its hype but none of them could touch it i just watched leviathan this week or mm, this weekend i remember liking this one with peter weller i remember yeah, really was, liking it yeah when i was a kid and uh i had bought it used on blu-ray and okay. but it was on amazon prime so that's how i ended up watching it and i right. kind of regret that purchase that <laughs> so i never watched the abyss because i f- i just like I when it came out, I wasn't in the mood for a sappy sci-fi drama, right? Type thing, so it just it didn't appeal to me. I know since then I'm kicking myself for not checking it out. Have you seen the extended version? Is it better? Any good? Is it? Um, good? Yeah, I mean, it's got some more uh, James Cameron wankery in it. The whole. Well, I won't spoil it, but there's more. There's a lot more stuff to it. I mean, it's kind of like watching the Aliens extended cut. It takes what you gain in some kind of like, uh, you know, additional scenes and kind of just more immersion in that world. It kind of sacrificed some of the kind of leanness and propelled forward stuff of it. So I'd watch their theatrical cut first. Yeah, this is uh, up there with like True Lies as the unreleased Blu-rays. 
Oh, it is that people okay. want. Yeah, it's not. It's 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 it has never been available. Interesting. Yeah. That's really that's really interesting. And I don't why. know what it is. What with yeah. the hesitation from Kim, why he's not. Wonder what the hesitation with True Lies is. I think it's because of, of the terrorism aspect. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen. I mean, obviously, this hasn't been available, so I haven't seen it in forever. I mean, all I remember is Bill Paxson playing a sleazy uh, car salesman, and then. Jamie Lee Curtis doing like a weird sexy dance. That's all I can remember about that film. So it says here, I'm on the Wikipedia page that in 2017 that they were working on a 4K transfer of The Abyss and it would be coming out in early 2017. Oh, really? He said okay. that in 2016, excuse me, at Comic-Con. Okay. And nothing. Oh, it's, it's typical. Right. Cameron, right. Right. Well, he's too busy making 37 uh, <sighs> Avatar sequels. Dear God. Are they going to bring bean it straight of the, like, is it going to be like, you know, like real? Like, are they going to have the movies actually like a play and there's going to be actors in front of the theater doing it to make it more realistic? Yeah. Let's hope so. <laughs> it's like rainforest cafe come to life. The movie. So do you have any honorable mentions then? Obviously the other two submarine films that you mentioned, The Hunt for Red October and Crimson Tide. And I'm also going to throw out there the original Pirates of the Caribbean. I remember I had absolutely zero expectations for that movie, and I actually had a really good time watching it the first time. I mean, obviously it's aged poorly, or at least when it's kind of taken as a whole, it's not great, but that first one's still a lot of fun. Uh, I had, as as I mentioned before, Captain Phillips, uh, Jaws, I guess. I I I just don't think more than half that film takes place at sea. Uh, the the uh, submarine ghost film below. I don't know if you've seen that one, Bruce Davidson. I've always kind of enjoyed that. The original Mutiny on the Bounty. I would have probably put it in my top five, but I have not seen it for 25 years, so I couldn't remember. I just didn't want to take that chance. Though it's a classic, uh, Titanic, I guess. And then uh, another uh, submarine movie, U571, with Matthew McConaughey, is pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Aquaman, because that. Black Manta design it kicks ass. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of kicking myself. I forgot about Aquaman. That was a that should have been on there. And there's like yeah, and they're and they're riding like big alligators and fish and stuff. And then there's I like the Crab Men. That was fun. There you go. What are your five favorite movies at sea? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Next week, Matt, Color Out of Space is getting a limited release, but not around here. So we'll be checking out. It looks like The Gentleman, Guy Ritchie going back to his roots to uh, British gangster films. From what I understand, it's reasonably entertaining, but it does feature Charlie Hunnam. So, (laughs) never a good sign for me. I have nothing against the guy personally. I just have yet to see really a performance of his that's really blown me away. Mm. What is it, The Lost City of Z? Yeah, I I didn't think it was that great. I don't understand what all the buzz about that movie was. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Maybe this will be the one. Maybe Charlie the Crest Tatum line for us this week. We'll find out. In the interim, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're on YouTube and Instagram. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you will find us. Go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. and help other people find the show, and I will read it on there. And that's it, Matt. So why don't we go ahead? Nice short and sweet episode this week, huh? Get you on the go. as a little breather for that. We're still recovering from that mammoth two-hour show. That's right. So we're going to go ahead then, take an extended break, and we will see you all soon.
Supposedly, Cousteau and his cronies invented the idea of putting walkie-talkies into the helmet. But we made ours with a special rabbit ear on the top so we could pipe in some music.